There are a lot of theories and science associated with developing a mindset like a leader. And that's what we'll be talking about in this podcast, working towards the North Star goal and improving your decision-making skills. I'm joined with Benny Osmus, the founder of Big Chain and the author of his newly released book, The Transformational Leadership Compass. Enjoy the podcast and welcome to The Pawn Spot Show. Hi, Benny. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you this morning? I am good, Arinjay. Thanks for having me here. It's uh, good to be on the show. Thank you. So uh, you've spent 12 years in the field of leadership development and coaching. So tell us about this industry and what exactly have you, have you worked on for these past long 12 years now? Gosh, that's, a, that's a just diving right in there, huh? That's how a <laughs> uh, podcast starts. <laughs> yeah, okay. So look, it's... Um, I got to say it, it's been a, a different year every year for the 12 years. And, and um, one of the great things about the field of leadership development and, and developmental coaching is that you, you have to be a, an eternal student. You have to constantly learn and develop and grow. And you always have to be, you know, um, ahead developmentally or at least cognitively of your clients. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's something I really love uh, about this work. It's uh you know, I, I'm, I'm an autodidact. I, I learn by doing and, and through practice. And, you know, everything we know about learning and development and how the brain works now mm. tends to, to indicate that that's, that's the way everybody learns best. So, gosh, I mean, 12 years ago when I discovered that I could work with people um, to help them tap their potential, to help them uh, increase their performance and, and to achieve their goals, and there was a, an entire set of sciences behind this that I could learn and utilize. I was like, this is it for me. I, this is my, my life. And Sure. And when you say that you, you've also been mentored and you've also uh, read a lot of book. So can you talk to me about that instance? Or probably it won't just be one instance. There'll be a multiple instance that sparked your interest initially in going towards coaching. Because I've seen from a lot of leaders and coaches, their main motivation or that spark happens from their mentor in saying that they improved me and I'm going to do something for other people as well. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, for a long time, I didn't call myself a coach. Mm. I would say probably 10 of those 12 years, I, I didn't call myself a coach. I thought that was cheesy, um, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, and I've only just started, you, you know, wearing that title because everyone's started saying, referring to you that way, coach. this is my coach, Benny, I, thought I, better, I better own it. <laughs> um, however, I did have, I, you know, I'd sort out a number of mentors. Um, you know, I, I did go to uni and study psych and I did, you know, um, uh, I, I didn't follow an academic path. I didn't really fit well with the, this whole you know, um, study and, and research and, and go inwards. I, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a pragmatic or, or practitioner mm. uh, of business and psychology. So I need to be out in the field and working with people. So I looked for mentors that had the results I wanted. So mm. I looked for people that, that um, gosh, that, they'd probably be upset if I name them because then they're going to get hit with a million emails from your subscribers. <laughs> so I won't, I won't name my past and um, present mentors, um, but I will say that, that they're people that had the results I wanted. Um, sometimes I just harassed them until they'd let me 
um, shadow them and learn from them. Sometimes I worked for them. Hmm. Uh, sometimes I paid them. Um, and, and some of my mentors I paid and coaches I paid a, a great deal to and invested in, in my development. But they were, they're all people that either had a clear intellectual or cognitive uh, capability I wanted or a result in, in, in life that I wanted to achieve. Mm. And it was about modeling them. And it was about trying to do my best to download their, their um, knowledge structures into my realm by just watching them closely and being a, being a bit like, um, so like when we think about how knowledge maps in the brain, we, we, we learn best when things are linked to other things we already know. Mm. So nowadays when I'm working with someone that I'm modeling or, or trying to learn from, I'm just trying to build up all of those connections that I know and just notice everything that I can connect into something else to, to get a fuller picture of, of, of mastery. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've had many masters over the years and, and uh, you know, even these days I have, I have quite a few different mentors and masters in quite a few different diverse fields. And with that said, I think the, interest that sparked 12 years back, I think it's really helped you. Like in 2014, you came up with your own company. That is the big chain. And we can see the poster behind it, which looks really, really interesting. So, yeah. Mm. So tell us uh, what influenced you in creating this company? How did you go about that? Well, God, I mean, we, I had a, a consulting practice before that, um, that was, uh, it's called Thought Dynamics and I you know, ran a community of consultants and did all that thing, uh, did all the thing around, you know, developing a licensed brand through a mentor. Um, but I, I didn't find really what I was looking for at the time uh, through that brand. And what I was looking for at the time was a true business case for culture change. Hmm. It was a true business case for leadership development. It was the ability to put dollars and cents and bottom line return on investment to this at the time, you know, this is going back a while, um, this, you know, ethereal idea of culture and leadership development or, you know, what the CFOs would call all that fluffy stuff, right? <laughs> so a big change was born out of the need to build a value proposition for what I believe and still hold a firm conviction to be the most important thing in business, which is, the development of individuals and collective groups of individuals to form cultures that are able to collectively achieve amazing things together. Uh, when you're talking about your company, there's one thing that I can really relate with when you say that now people have started to understand, corporation have started to understand the importance of growth and develop, development, especially and moving away from HR. Because I've seen this in the recent years and in colleges as well and in seminars that everyone like in forms of employees, like senior executives to fresh graduates, they have started to attend these, uh, these seminars that talk about leadership, growth and development. Mm -hmm. And that's just some, mm. a recent change that I have noticed. What would be some of the changes that you notice from this 12 year journey? Like when you started initially to now, what's the biggest change that you may have seen that now you feel that, okay, now the vision is coming to action. Like people have understood this and the importance of development. I think it's still coming. Still coming. Uh, so I've seen a, I've seen a lot of changes happen from, from the executive coaching and the leadership development space. And, you know, 
a lot of flavors of different, you know, uh, methods and methodologies that have come through. I think the biggest change um, that, that we'll see, and, and this comes through the work of some of my, my colleagues and partners, is bringing together highly predictively valid instruments of, of measuring growth in people's development, bringing together the, the formative assessments that turn developmental work into a much stronger science, uh, a, a much more respected science. Um, what are these instruments? That's happening. Well, it's a good question. I mean, well, when, we, when we think about... I've heard, heard of this. I'm really interested to know that. Well, I'm glad. Um, <laughs> look, well, when we think about instruments or assessments in the, in the organizational development and leadership development world, we're, we're dealing with a, a landscape of, um, of shitty science generally. And what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of the assessments that people are using to, to quantify and to qualify people's mm -hmm. development to, to look at individuals, um, measure and predict and, and draw inferences about an individual or a group of individuals or a culture um, are fundamentally flawed. And without getting into too much of the geekiness around this, they're fundamentally flawed because surveys um, are very bad predictors of, of how this stuff works. Multiple choice questions aren't very good at predicting aptitude. Mm -hmm. um, so when we, we're looking at things, you know, and I'm not going to um, name assessments and, and get sued because I've got other things to do. Um, but when we're talking about self-reporting uh, assessments, we're talking about 360s that don't require the individual to demonstrate thinking. It's like, how do you feel on a scale of one to five about this? No thoughts required. You go, I think I'm a bit of a three. This is, this is not helping. So there's a range of, of poorly constructed assessments out there and instruments that are claiming to predict and measure um, and inform uh, developmental decisions when they don't. Now, the big change that's going to come, we're now seeing the technology required um, or advancements in the technology required to actually look at real world thinking skills, right? Mm. So if you want to develop a leader, what, what do you want that leader to, to be able to do if you want to develop a leader effectively? What's the most important thing for them to be able to do? Probably do think? have a long-term goal for an organization and that can be translated to the employees as well. I, I, I want them to have a long-term goal and I, I want to, to know that they've got a plan. But when it comes to the crunch, I want to know that they're very good at making the best decisions possible. Yeah, if I'm going to give someone power and resources and responsibility and risk, I want to know that this person has the mental ability to make the best decision possible. And that's a whole skill set around, um, you know, complexity of their thinking. How much complexity and levels and layers can they think of? How many perspectives can they gather and coordinate? Um, you know, what's their process that they go through? How do they analyze information? How do they involve others and collaborate and bring those through? And, and this is complex stuff. Mm. We can measure it now. We can measure it based on this premise, this one premise. If you can explain something to me, yeah, mm. so I understand it, you understand it. Right. Yeah. yeah. If, you can't, if you can't explain it to me, you might understand it, but who knows? 
yeah? So the new world of assessments is about demonstrating how you will solve problems, not through multiple choice answers or tick the box. Here's a thorny, difficult problem with no one real answer. The kind of problems that leaders face every single day, and that's why the job's so hard. And the question is, using 2,000 to 4,000 words, explain to me how you would go about thinking about this, deciding this, making your call, what, what are the actions you take, what would you do? And you write, you write an essay. Now, in the past, this is useful because there can be scoring systems to look at the essays, look at what's considered, this, see the quality of thinking. But it's kind of prohibitive because you need analysts to do that. Now with AI, we're able to look at these things in bulk and, and, and score how, how someone's thinking is relating to a question. And not only choose and select the best candidates for development, but use the gaps in their thinking to form their development plans. Mm. So leadership development is becoming a much harder science with much, much clearer stakes in the ground of progression and much, much um, more direct lines of sight for right. the individual's development and the return on investment in real world terms. When Long answer, but there you go. <laughs> no, no, and when you're saying that <clears throat> when AI is coming into action and when you need to write a certain aspect in talking about leadership, you still say that it is coming. So how long do you think that people and other companies would get used to and finally adopting these techniques and moving away from those, I'd say orthodox techniques maybe of, of oh. MCQs or something? Mm. You know the adoption curve. I mean, gosh, it's going to be, there'll be early adopters for, for mm. this stuff. People people still use Myers-Briggs personalities as assessment. Here, I named one. Uh, when we know that, 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 that they made up the data for that, it's totally phony data. It's, you might as well use tarot cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it'd be fun and you might have some sort of inquiry, but it's not a scientific instrument. It's not um, something that should be used to make huge decisions about an individual's future and a company's future or a program. It just shouldn't. Um, so when, first of all, when will the tech be ready? Very, very soon. Um, so watch this space. Um, when will, when will it be ready for big adopted? change? Ready for big change? Well, when, when there will be early adopters on this. And, mm -hmm. and I think that the, the people that anybody that, that, has an empirical mind and enough inquiry and enough bandwidth to actually look at the data and see the predictive power of this stuff, which I hope is the majority of particularly young emerging companies that, that have a desire for a collaborative culture, have a desire for um, development of people. Uh, and I, I'm quite optimistic uh, yeah. around this. I think there's quite a lot of them. They tend to be my clients, uh, these kind of companies. Um, they'll jump on it and they'll race with it and they'll um, outperform, outcompete and outthink everybody else. Uh, and they're the kind of people we want to talk to. As far as, uh, look, there aren't a lot of 100-year-old corporations getting around. They just aren't. Mm. Um, it's, that, that's an old thing. So the older, clunkier systems that have used the, the same old tech for a long time and are slow to change, Mate, it's, it's no longer the, you know, the, the big fish eats the small fish these days. It's the fast fish eats the slow fish. So we're after the, the fast fish that want to that wanna develop their people and, and take on the world. Mm. Um, there you go. That's, that's my pitch. How did I do? 
Really interesting. I'm really interested in finding. I've seen that a lot of industries because of COVID-19 have adopted to tech and are moving towards it. So it's always mm. a really interesting feel and in understanding how like entrepreneurs are looking at that industry and how COVID has come in the picture. So mm-hmm. just really wanted, uh, interested in knowing that. And while talking about this, <clears throat> tell me how and what inspired you in writing your book that you spoke about earlier, the, transformi- the, the Transformational Leadership Compass. How is that right? And what was the, again, the sparking point to start that book? <laughs> Arenja, you, you're even plugging my book. Here you go for the um, So yeah, look, I, I love books. Um, I owe my life to, to books and I owe my career to books. Um, as I was saying before, I, I read, uh, I apply, I reflect, I adapt. And that's, mm. that's how I learn and that's how I teach uh, people to optimize their learning. Um, and for a long time, I'd sort of considered writing a book but didn't feel it was time. And then what, one week, I think two and a half years ago, I had like five clients in a week. Uh, just asked me to write a book and just say, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I was like, I was sitting down at the end of the week and I do my reflection journal and I'm like, mm, what were the themes for this week? And, uh, and then my phone rang and it was um, a friend of mine who's, who's um, very charming but quite annoying. And he said, hey, I've been thinking you should write a book. And I was like, ah, oh, stop it. So, um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm of the belief if, if enough people are asking you to do it that you care about, um, whether it's starting a business or writing a book or, you know, or getting a haircut, <laughs> you should probably take that, that advice. Right. Um, so that's where it began. And, um, you know, I, I just I got in touch with a, um, a company that was both a, 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 publisher, a publisher or a publishing yeah. imprint and a, and a coach because it was my first book and I'm not a writer. Uh, um, I had to learn how to be a, an author, which was, um, I can't say I recommend it. It was, it was really hard. <laughs> um, My next question is about that, being an author. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what's the question? The next one, well, I, I wanted to know that you, you've said this before uh, in some of your interviews that uh, you wanted this book to be understood by everyone, from CEOs to even mm. a junior level executive. But I think when it comes to like even content creation, writing or producing any form of content, it's much easy to write theories and complicate things. And it's extremely hard to simplify it. So tell me, how did you simplify that thing? And you simplified the 12 year journey on a piece of paper. I I can just imagine how difficult it would be. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted it to be, okay, so, so in building transformation programs and helping leaders transform their culture and their performance, you know, we're, we're working with a company with, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. Hmm. We, we all need to have a same basic understanding of what that looks like and the hmm. tools we're going to use. Like, hmm. like if we're going to renovate a house and we have a team of 200 of us, we all have got to go, this is a hammer and this is what it does. We, we need these, these base skill sets, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you know, I really recognise there's a need for a shared language and an accessible model of transformation. Hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I've worked with 
a lot of different models of thinking um, over the years um, and, and very, you know, famous and well-known ones. And none of them did all of the things I needed to do to, to bring it forward. So I integrated them and brought them together in, in the, the TLC, the Transformational Leadership Compass. Um, and it required me to essentially look at, I, I use a framework called um, MECE or M-E-C-E, which is mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. So it's like within this model, everything that's there needs to be there and there's nothing there that doesn't need to be there and everything is complete in itself and everything requires everything else. I know that sounds a, like a lot, but here's the model here. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the book, the book builds it um, piece by piece and talks you through it um, to, to build this one. We'll have some videos and I, I think I'm going to have a mini course coming up that um, I'm most likely going to give away um, to your listeners. So by the time this goes live, hopefully we'll have that link in the show, uh, show notes. It, it unpacks it for them. But here's the thing, it's a synthesis of all that information into something practical. Mm. Now, um, to do this, right, going back to what we were saying before, our brains love to plug things in to existing knowledge networks. So in building the model step by step, I give them one definition and then I link it to another one and link mm. it to another one. And people's brains are actually forming these neural networks as they right. read. Mm. All the way through the book, we've bolded each of those key words and it's, it's designed very intentionally um, to be easy to learn and to be, to be memorable. So you can teach it to, to people at all sorts of levels um, to be able to then have the conversations to make change happen. Mm. Um, I don't know if I've nailed it. I've done you know, the best I can with it. It's it, like you said, it's a, it's, it's a tough thing to simplify it. And it is yeah. a 500 page book. Mm. However, um, you know, in three minutes of uh, in the, the, the video intro that we'll show you, you can learn the model and you can have a conversation about it with your CEO or if you're the CEO with frontline workers, mm. you can gain insights up and down and to the side with your peers. Mm. You can discuss things, you can align perspectives, you can, you can think better and make better decisions. Mm. And that's a pretty useful tool to have in the, you know, uh, in, in the leader's toolkit. Mm. So that's the intention. What were your um, friend, What were your friends' reaction when you finally published the book? <laughs> were they like, "See, I told you to do that." <laughs> they were like, "No, it's, it's been like well done." Was it hard? I'm like, "Yeah, you saw me." Um, <laughs> um, you, you know what? Like, I, I purposefully surround myself with, with friends that aren't always nice mm. to me. Uh, and, and I do that for, for a reason. Like I don't want people to just tell me everything's going to be all right or tell me that my, you know, my coffee's good if it's terrible or, you know, like I, not I've, surrounding I've, yourself with yes men basically. Yeah. Well, even like in my personal life, I, I like direct, you know, strong feedback, mm. even, even if it stings a bit like that, they're, they're, they're my peeps, they're, they're the people I like in my life. And, um, so, you know, like th there's been a couple of brutal things like, oh, it's too long and it's a bit wordy and everything, but generally the feedback from friends has been really not just nice, but, but constructive and thought mm. through, and that's been lovely. And then there's been a broader, um, 
amount of feedback from you know the academic community, which I was a bit scared of. Um, you know, particularly some of the, the thinkers there, and that, and that's ranged from wow, this is groundbreaking to you know I don't hate it. Uh, a real tough, a real tough uh, academic. I, I sent it to. Yeah. So I was, I was a bit scared of this guy. He's, he's a really serious, like professor of, of leadership. And I said, so what, what did you think? He goes, I don't hate it. And I was like, <laughs> great. Um, so yeah, like we're putting it's interesting. Into, mm, it's right. interesting. Yeah. Oh. And well, coming down to the last final few questions, you said that you plan on starting the short course and mm. i hope that we on this show you we could get the get a small demo of it so i really wanted to know that there's a lot of theories that you've spoken about but talk mm. to us about one particular decision making theory that you found very interesting that you'd like to share to i'd say the young listeners or the entrepreneurs or the leaders for this podcast okay a um, short demo <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I'll share something that I think would be highly practical and a reference piece of material to someone else. Um, there's a thinker named Daniel Kahneman who wrote a wonderful book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And with regards to decision-making, I think anybody, uh, any level of leadership should know this stuff. And he basically looked at system one and system two. Uh, and these are different ways that the brain um, processes information, right? So... If you were to think about, and this is probably a good exercise for anybody that wants to you know, play along. Um, if you were to think about, note down, if you were to assign a part of your mind to observe and note down in any given day, um, how many decisions you make? Um, how many decisions do you think you'd make in a day? Just ballpark. Probably think three or the top three, three decisions in a day. That would be a safe number for me. Three decisions you'd make in a day. Now, are those big decisions, medium decisions or tiny decisions? All, I, all three of them fall in the three different categories. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would challenge anybody on this call to, to grab a notebook mm -hmm. and spend a day and note down Right. every single decision you make through the day, every choice, no matter how small, like, like to, to have an extra bit of coffee in your coffee or not, mm. um, you know, how long to stay in the shower um, or, you know, what, to, what restaurant to go to for, if you're going to like any time you hit a decision point, note it down and get aware of, of the hundreds of decisions that you, you make a day. That that's, that would be the first point. The second point would be to look at those and look at are they tiny or medium or large decisions? And another point would be to look at Kahneman's idea of, of two types of thinking. And, and this is just a construct. Hmm. Sy systems one thinking and systems two thinking. Systems one thinking is when the brain is automatic, unconscious. It's not thinking. It's just doing. It's or it's default. It's going back to this intuitive process, right? It requires no attention and no energy, but it's almost always biased uh, and prone to bias and prone to to error. Hmm. Yeah. Or gen and it generally has the potential to be improved. Systems two thinking, yeah, and this usually shows up on your list with bigger things. 
is slow, controlled, analytical. It's like if you've got to if you've got to buy a house, yeah, you're not going to make a snap decision on that unless you're, you know, you're a crazy person. Um, systems two thinking is this slow, methodical process of really slowing it down because that's the way you take so, the big decisions, right? Well, here's the golden opportunity, right? The more you can recognize what's in systems one and slow it down and actually look at the way you make the small decisions yeah, every day, the more opportunities you have to improve the decisions you make that are the habits that form your life because 80% of your life are the same things you do every day. Hmm. So if you take the time to pause, reflect, slow down all the automatic things, really look at them and think, is there a better process? Is there something I'm not considering? Am I aware of all the perspectives here? Could I bring in more data or information to improve this? You end up with a pretty decent laundry list of ways to make your world better. And it's, uh, it's, it could be the greatest decision you ever made. Well, I, uh, to the listeners who've tried this, I think it's a pretty interesting thing. Yeah, I, I should think about it. Well, okay, wow. All right. Um, so finally, coming down to the final few questions, very briefly, um, uh, you asked a question that what are the biggest uh, traits that a leader should have? And I said that it's important to have a long-term goal. But my question to mm. you is that I have seen entrepreneurs and employers who have a long-term goal with, for their company, but it gets really, really hard in, in imposing that goal to their employees because it's a long-term thing. How do you do that? Yeah. What's, what's really important for a leader to know and understand how to give the, or pass that goal so that even your employees are motivated, basically? Yeah. So that's what my book's about, essentially. <laughs> but he, here's the real short answer. Um, okay. In the book, in TLC, we call the big goals, the big <laughs> vision, the North Star. It's where we're, we're heading towards. Hmm. Uh, you, you, it's important to have that. It's important to have vision, mission, a set of core values. And this is the direction we want everyone to head towards. Mm. You then have to, to bring people along on the journey. Yeah. Mm. Because you know, what you're describing is you can set these big goals, but if people aren't with you, you're not leading, you're just out for a walk. Oh. Right. <laughs> so, so it's a great question. How do we inspire, influence, impact, motivate, uh, collaborate and bring people along to the journey. Um, so there's a few considerations and you, you see this in, in my model in the compass. You, you need to, first of all, um, look at the results, the smaller results that contribute to the, to the bigger goal, right? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's say you've, you've got hundreds or thousands of staff. Let's say you've got 10 staff, right? Everybody needs to have a result that contributes to the big goal of the vision not just on a yearly basis, but ideally on a much shorter term basis. So we can see that you need to have a game and all your people need to have a game. And by a game, I mean a game you can design and co-design and win and get better at. Hmm. And games in my language stands for goals, activities, measures, expectations, and support. It's an acronym. Hmm. Uh, it's in the book. So when we, we create a little mini game, yeah, where we can get good feedback, we can prove in that game. And the goal of that game matches the big goal that everybody wants. Yeah. 
And around that game, we can build teams that are good at supporting each other and winning that game together. Within that teams, we have individual players that we've selected for the right reasons, that we can play to their talents and traits, that care about the things that we care about. And you've got to get all of this stuff right and working together. Mm. Uh, so you've got to get the big vision in place. You've got to shape a culture full of individual players that form teams, that play games, that get results that happen that way, that play out in a rhythm every day of practice and communication and working together, that form a brand that the world can love and buy into because it adds value to their lives. Mm. And that's the game of leadership. Mm. That's very well said, and I, and I can and I can really understand the impact that it can have. And um, now, finally, coming down to the last question of this podcast, um, I want to ask for an advice or three key advices that you'd like to give to millennials, Gen Z, or all the new generational workforces who would be joining joining companies and also getting up their own setting up their own companies and it's important for them in knowing how does leadership work so what would be your three three key advices that you'd like to give to the listeners when they're developing a mindset like a leader what are the three key things according to you which are really important for the young generation to know yeah okay um okay so the first thing i would say is learn how to learn optimally and really well. Yeah. So don't, don't just learn things, learn how to learn. Learn how the brain works in learning. Learn the best way to absorb and, and build robust knowledge that's useful in the world. Yeah. So like if you, if you learn how to um, run a practice that, that makes you a, um, uh, better at... at um, absorbing the information in my book and applying it to your work. If you learn how to do that first, then any book you read is going to be uh, easier. easier. So, so the idea of learning how to learn and getting very, very good at processing that. And the reason why I give that is, is do you think there's going to be more information or less information as we, as we go into the future? Obviously more information on 100%. Yeah. Is it important to memorize things these days? Not really. So it's all there. It's about robust knowledge. It's about learning how to solve problems. And the only way you learn to solve problems is you learn how to assimilate that into a, a knowledge network. Uh, so this is a really good developmental question. It's like how, what kind of learner am I? How can I be most effective at learning in a practical way to add value? That's mm. number one. Um, okay. Number two, work on your ability to speak uh, and I would say sell and influence with clarity. Yeah. Mm. Um, this is really important for a number of reasons. Um, it's great to be great at learning and to take that in, but you have to be able to express yourself clearly and explicitly if you want to influence those around you, if you want to have an impact. Um, also, we know that the greater someone's clarity, so, so their ability to construct arguments, frame them, put them together, influence and persuade others um, also determines their trajectory over time for their own development. So hmm. actually going out there and working on your ability to, to um, express yourself clearly is super important. 
Mm. Uh, it's super important. And number three, um, look after your body as, as if it was your most valuable asset. Right. Uh, look after this, this meat suit you got. Cause, cause yeah, you know, you know, if, if you, if you're very healthy, you've got a thousand problems. If you're, if you're very sick, you only have one mm. and you know, as ambitious as, as you can be and, and whatever dreams and hopes you set, um, it's all contingent on, on you being healthy and vital. So mm. really investing time, um, as if it is a, an investment in the future uh, around your, the health of your body and your, your mind, your psychology and doing work on yourself. The great, uh, late, great Jim Rohn, one of the, you know, the godfathers of personal development said work mm. harder on yourself than you do in your job. And I think, you know, I'm an elder millennial and I think our Gen Z homies also resonate with this message. It's like work on yourself. Yeah. Um, it's worthwhile. And, don't feel guilty about that. Look at it as, uh, you know, I'm an asset I'm building to be able to serve people uh, and I will take the time to learn how to learn. Uh, I will take the time to learn how to express myself and I'll look after my mind and my body so I can you know, not only serve others and be of value, but feel bloody good as well because mm. that's kind of important. Right. I think I've heard this from a lot of entrepreneurs as well who've said that, that once you embrace the challenge, of working out and giving time to your body. That way you understand the importance of patience when you're building your own brand. And I can really agree with the last statement. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me, let me give a fourth because I'd, I'd feel bad if I didn't. Um, <laughs> this is a major one as well. Um, okay. Learn to embrace discomfort. Oh. Not a popular message. Definitely not a popular message. Um, learning to embrace um, momentary discomfort, whether it's an awkward conversation, um, you know, being out of your comfort zone and having to present to someone and just going, oh, even if you're shaking, mm. um, or, or having a, co a cold shower and getting your hermetic stress levels through the roof. There is so much wisdom to be gained and so much growth to be gained in temporarily embracing something that sucks and realizing you're going to be okay. Uh, in fact, conditioning yourself to, no, I, and I'm not saying go, go crazy and, you know, punish yourself. That's not, not the game here. Um, but I do know that all, all real growth on the other side of, of uncertainty and discomfort. So if you can switch your mind to a, a point where it actually finds a bit of satisfaction and joy in things that suck, uh, your growth trajectory will be a lot faster and, and higher, I, I imagine. Mm. Well, um, <clears throat> that's, that's very well said. And I can really agree with all the four points and all the four advices that you've given. And um, we've, with that said, I think we've come down to the end of this podcast. And I'd like to thank you very much for joining me. And I wish you all the best for Big Chain. And I'm also looking forward to the short courses that you'll be coming up soon. Thank you so much for coming for the show. Arinja, it's an honor. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. If you like this episode, please subscribe to my channel. You can also catch the video version of this podcast on YouTube. You can also follow me on Instagram. The handle is Arinjay Bansal. And lastly, to all the listeners, thank you for giving me your time. And I hope to see you again for this Bonspot Show.